The Audacity to Podcast is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network over at noodle.mx and is sponsored by me and my company, D. Joseph Design at djosephdesign.com. Check it out. Look at my portfolio and you'll see that I design websites. I design presentations. I design cover art for podcasts. You can check out my portfolio at djosephdesign.com and see how I can help you. I can design your site for a podcast or design your cover art or whatever. Check it out. You have a message that deserves to look great. So make your next message look or sound great by hiring me to design and produce stuff for you. And it will be totally awesome. Welcome to the Audacity to Podcast, episode 13, interview with Fred Castaneda of Struggling Entrepreneur, part two. Welcome back to another episode of the Audacity to Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Lewis, also known as The Ramen Noodle. Check out my other podcast at noodle.mx or theramennoodle.com. It's a comedy podcast. You can laugh and experience all of the joys there. And we've got some great guests on right now and the ticket and schedule. It's awesome. And you'll laugh and have a great time. But right now, we're here to talk about podcasting. And this is part two of a conversation that I've been having with Fred Castaneda from strugglingentrepreneurpodcast.com. He interviewed me on his podcast. We had a great conversation. And he is absolutely passionate about podcasting. And like he says, no, it's not passion. It's obsession. And uh, that's probably very true. And that comes out so much. His passion, I would still call it passion, comes out so much in what he's talking about that it was very easy for us to keep going for a long time. So we decided to split this into two episodes so that you can get this in smaller bites. So before I get into the continuing conversation with Fred, I want to tell you about my sponsor, GoToMeeting, brought to you by Citrix. Web conferencing lets people come together globally by allowing you to meet online to present, demonstrate, or collaborate in real time. If you want to do this well, then why not use the best in-class service? That is GoToMeeting. It is simple. It's quick. It's not very expensive. It has all of these tools with it. You can use it to demonstrate products, show PowerPoint presentations, show anything on your computer. GoToMeeting is brought to you by Citrix, and it is affordable and easy. My listeners can try GoToMeeting for free for 45 days. That's a month and a half. That's over a $50 value. For this special offer, visit gotomeeting.com slash podcast. That's gotomeeting.com slash podcast. Now it's time to continue our conversation with Fred Castaneda from strugglingentrepreneur.com. 
so we just finished talking about the passion and we're kind of following this outline of talking about your passion, your organization and your dialogue. And let's move on to talking about your organization of this. So you've got a lot of shows and all of your shows sound very professional. So how do you keep all of your shows organized and professional sounding? You mentioned the episode mapping. Uh, What other tools do you use to keep yourself organized and professional sounding? Well, I use the tools that I actually promote in Gain Control of Your Day. I turned it into a project manager, which, by the way, I'm this close, and it's about half an inch between my fingers. I'm this close to getting my professional project manager certification, the PMP. See, I'm still still going to school and taking this. It's something that I want to do. But I've been, uh, been doing project management for 25 years in IBM, so I know how to manage the projects. But there is one person... And I want to give him the credit because he is the one that turned me on to an episode map idea that seems to work for me. And his name is Scott Whitney. He has a podcast uh, from his company called Podworks. Have you heard of it? P-O-D-W-O-R-X. I have heard of it, but I haven't actually looked into it yet. Uh, If you go to Podworks and look at his his podcast, and he has a – he had a series of podcasts. He did AccuTrack and he did, you know, the the folks that create those – the speaker systems for the – uh, all the conference rooms in America, you're aware of them? Uh, the telephone no. system, I can't remember who they are right off the bat, but he does their podcast. So he does professional podcasting. And he was one of the guys I interviewed that made a six-figure income just on podcasting for large companies, wow. doing their internal and external podcasting. Well, one of the things he did was a free podcast on iTunes called uh, Podcasting for Business. He has since taken down a lot of his episodes from four years ago, but one of the episodes was about how do you, uh, he created a CD called the four P's of podcasting. Uh, P number one was, how do you plan? P number two is, how do you, pu- uh, how do you, pub- uh, excuse me, how do you produce? P number three was, how do you publish? P number four is, how do you promote? And he sells the CD now, so he monetized it and sells it for $10. But that episode of planning gave the concept of what an episode map is and how to use it. I listened to it and I said, this makes sense. So I added that in my bag of tricks to what I already had in my project management schema of getting control of your day, which is, you know, like I said, what I teach, I use that. I've been using it for 20 something years and I just incorporate it. So I know every episode of every podcast of what I'm doing and I, I know where I'm going because I usually have two or three episode themes and titles ahead of time. And if you ever looked at a spreadsheet of one of my episode maps, it's about 45 columns long. <laughs> And it doesn't take that long to fill it out because you already know what's there. You just, it's just capturing it on the spreadsheet and capturing it on either digital or paper so that you are organized. You know exactly what it is you're going to produce. And by the way, if there's another podcast that comes in only because life happens, I may have, say, a podcast that I'm doing with you. And I have another podcast that I interviewed with uh, Joe Blow. And then all of a sudden I go to an event like a product camp or a pod camp. And I interview somebody whose podcast is there. Case in point. You know who Bob Levitas is? No. If you listen to my podcast on The Struggling Entrepreneur, the one right after you, uh, the episode right after yours, he's the author of the, the book, iPad for Dummies. Okay. And he has 55 books. And he's an entrepreneur. He has his own business of remote dialing in to help people do technical support on their Macintoshes. He's Dr. Macintosh. Hmm. That's his persona. So I interviewed him. And I had to sandwich that in between, too, because it was timely. So some of these podcasts are timely. And that's why the episode map gives you the flexibility to say, oh, I'm going to do this one before this one, originally planned. I'll insert it here. And now I change the dates. And in, you know, 30 seconds, it's done. 
and I know exactly where everything is, where it's scheduled, etc. So uh, the, po- the project management and the episode map tools, Scott Whitney, thank you very much. Um, they are the ones that, that help me organize all 13 podcasts. And now you ask how I, I do the podcast professionally sounding. It yes. took a while. <laughs> the first podcasting, I didn't start with, you know, your headset, right? Plugged into your, the audio card in your PC. I actually went and bought, ooh, I don't know if you remember, way back in 2005, they had something called the Podcast Factory from M Studio. Do you remember that? Oh, I think, yeah. It, they called it Podcast in a Box. Really what you got is the equivalent of a Shure M57 microphone. You got an audio interface and you you got uh, the the USB connector to your PC, and that allowed you to to basically record directly into Audacity. So I used that with my first podcast. Then shortly after, I subscribed to the School of Podcasting with Dave Jackson. I looked at all the stuff that he had. You know, Dave Jackson School of Podcasting. There's good news and bad news. You know what the good news is? What? He's got so much information about everything as podcast. You know what the bad news is? I have a feeling. I know. <laughs> He's got so much information. It's like walking into a smorgasbord and you're a, you're a hungry man, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, now he's organized it a little bit better. But I went through everything that he had and I saw what he was using. And I looked at the videos where he explained how to use things and what to do. And I listened to the quality. And so then I went and I got myself a, a Behringer 802 mixer with an AT2020, Audio-Technica 2020 uh, con- uh, condenser mic with the studio arm and everything else. Then I said, you know what? This is okay, but I went to get the podcast studio. That was the Behringer 502 mixer. Remember, one mic and no phantom power, mm-hmm. but directly plugged in. It was, the, it was a better solution than the old podcast factory. And so I did a lot of work with the Behringer 802 with the mixer, uh, using phantom power, using condenser microphones. I then went out and got other microphones. Then I discovered the USB microphones and their quality started getting better. You know, the I, I went from the MXL 007, I bought the AT2020, a USB mic, and then I started going into um, the portable mics, USB. Um, right now, I got the Yeti, I've got the Go mic, uh, I've got the portable recorders like the Zoom H2, the H4, the H4n, the Q3 for video and audio. So I've got a whole range of different recording uh, recording hardware that I use for specific purposes. Whenever I do a call like with yours, I've got two portable recorders just for backup going on. Whenever I do recording in person, it depends on where I have to do it. If it's mobile, I've got my, mono, my mobile devices. If it's not, then I can bring my, as I have before, my mixer with the two microphones and put them in <coughs> for um, recording or if it's over across the table in a, a coffee shop or something, I bring either my, my Zoom H's or my, my Yeti mic, and so I record that way. But it's all in post-production if you really want the, uh, the quality. And so I do a lot of manual um, manual levelation as well as I've used the levelator in the past, so I like the quality to be good. However, remember, I picked up a couple of hints and tips from your podcast, too, on, on quality, and uh, we're, you know, we're going to talk about that a little, little bit later. And so everything... You can learn from other podcasters who know about it is always a gem. But that's how I do it, uh, prof- sound professionally. I've learned how to do it, and I build upon that. And once you get to know it, uh, let me ask you this. How much time do you spend on a podcast now? Probably about a tenth of the time you spend on oh, yeah. the first. Yeah. So you get to be very efficient with it, and the quality is there. As a matter of fact, I think one of the, uh, the weirdest compliments I ever got was a lady who obviously did not like my podcast on iTunes. 
for the topic and the content. Of course, when I investigated who this lady was, I found out she had never done any podcast. So as far as, uh, <clears throat> shall we say, uh, her earning the right to be able to give me that kind of feedback, I don't think she did. But, you know, everybody's going give to you, give you their own opinions. But she said, uh, I don't like what he says. However, you've got to admit, this guy, this, the sound and the quality of sound is outstanding. And I go, okay, well, I'll take that as a small compliment. <laughs> so I can yell in her ear, but it sounds good. <laughs> so with all of your podcasts that you have, and I see this with other podcasters, you have separate sites for each of your podcasts, correct? That's correct. I, I have, for the ones that I'm doing for the community, such as the podcaster community or the iPad community, or the, uh, the, the cultural dance community, I put them either on Blogger or I use Podomatic so that the people who are going to be taking over can use that cookie-cutter approach. Have you ever used the Podomatic series of podcasts? No, I haven't. Oh, go to Podomatic and you'll see it's one, two, three. What's your name? <laughs> Once you set it up, they say, okay, give me the written show notes. And it's very limited, episode name. Then after that, upload your MP3. Then after that, give me one photo or one image as JPEG. And after that, give me your tags and boom, it's published. And it even puts it on iTunes. So that I give to other people who are learning the trade so that they can be productive and see the fruits of their labor without having to spend a lot of time on it and are then able to be the organizers of the meetups or the organization. I use that. But I go out and I actually create blogs, separate blogs on WordPress for the veterans podcast. I go and create blogs separate. If you go to Struggling Entrepreneur or Gain Control of Your Day or Entrepreneur Tools Online or Community 5 Podcasts, they're all on separate blogs, and I pay for them. I pay for the domains, I pay for the blogs, and I pay. F I have four Lipson accounts, and I guess you, I don't know if you use Lipson or not. I think you do, don't you? Actually, no, I'm not using oh, Lipson okay. yet. Okay, well, I've been using Lipson now for four years, and I have four separate accounts. I was actually going to get a fifth one <laughs> because when we were doing the launch of Finance for Startups, I needed a place to house three and a half gigabytes of content <laughs> that was going to be downloaded over the course of seven weeks. Remember, uh, Premiumcast had the one-on-one -on -one RSS feed where, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the infrastructure that I used was I wanted to, to have the ability that when you bought the course, that you don't have to wait uh, with, you know, a, a one-on-all membership where, mm -hmm. you know, if you walk in the middle of a movie, hey, where am I? No, when you stay, start the course... It starts at episode zero and goes and delivers you all the stuff on day one. It's a one-to-one -one RSS feed. And if you had a question as a customer, I could send you an audio MP3 explaining the answer to your question, giving you advice and giving you the feedback. And it's only for you, one-to-one -one RSS feed. The nice part about it is, let's say you wanted, uh, if you were in a membership site and you wanted to disconnect and say, well, I'm, I'm going to terminate my membership, I can still get a one-to-one -one RSS feed and send you things like, Daniel, I'm sorry that you're not with us anymore. I'll tell you what, look what you're missing. Here's the new content for the week. And oh, by the way, if you want to come back, here's a 20% off coupon. But it's nice. geared one-to-one. -one. So I use that in, you know, in, in the way that I structure the, uh, the feedback to the customers. Oh, yes, I don't need a separate blog for that because I use their infrastructure, the PremiumCast, which also includes, by the way, a built-in affiliate program, built-in e-commerce, as well as a, a, a built-in uh, membership site. And so those are all the things that I need to take advantage of and build it up, uh, like my affiliate programs, right? Mm -hmm. 
Okay. But they are um, most of them are in separate sites except for the books that I I do audio uh, narration for and, and they're downloaded on Premiumcast. Do you do any cross promotion between your podcasts since they're on separate sites? Like I have all of my shows now on a single site, and several other podcasters do that. But do you try and cross promote your podcasts? Uh, very little. Uh, you'll see different. So we say badges little podcast badges, which are the images of the podcast itself where you can click and then you can subscribe to that podcast. Uh, not too much. When I launched something for the entrepreneurs, for instance, when I launched Finance for Startups, I did put audio podcast episode promotions as well as for a couple of months, I did put some visual promotions there to say, go here while the introductory price was there. But hardly do it. This time I'm going to do things a little bit different when we launch all three of the Entrepreneur Tools Online offerings because a lot of entrepreneurs want the ability not only to get the, all three of them together to bundle price, but they can just pick and choose which one they want separately if they, they want to do that with the special discount uh, coupon codes, which, by the way, PremiumCast gives me the ability to do. So I can have 100, 200 different coupon codes, and mm. that way I can offer something to everybody at a special price point for them, and they'll never know about the other coupon codes, but PremiumCast takes care of it 100%. Right. So, so that's the infrastructure that I use. But yes, I do use blogs and I do go and I do uh, create podcast episodes and all everything that you see there in the show notes is all created by hand. Nothing's automated. And, uh, and I do repurpose a lot, but I repurpose it very special. I don't take the whole thing and throw it out there. Sometimes I just repurpose a special section, but I do do a special uh, episode blog post for it. Okay. Now, when you... Um when you have all of this set up, you explain some of the equipment that you used and what, when you're recording in studio, what is your workflow from when you first have the idea for the episode to when the episode is published? What are some of the tools you use along the way? And like, how long does it take you to go from concept to publish? Okay. Usually if I fill in the episode map, then I already know what I'm doing. I'll go and make a small outline of what I want to talk about and how I want it, uh, the flow to go. Then I will uh, set up my studio. I'll do the recording in the appropriate equipment or microphone. Then after the recording, I will go and edit it. And then once I edit it, I do the outro, the intro, the music. I, and they're separate. I record the body first. Then I have a separate outro and intro. For instance, when you and I did the, the, uh, the actual recording of the podcast episode for when I had you as a guest, you remember? I did yes. the... I did the introductory separate after the whole thing is done because then I know what to highlight for the audience. And that's a separate introduction. But then I do the intro, outro, and the music all separate on different tracks, merge them all together. And then I, uh, I then have the waveform. Uh, I, I condense it. And then I encode it in MP3 using the lame encoder <laughs> <laughs> with audacity. And sometimes I may need to levelate it. Uh, if I don't, then I just go in and tweak it uh, by hand. I actually do uh, the level setting and equalizing by hand. And then I publish it. I upload it to my Lipson account. I go and I create the post for the blog post, make sure everything works, put in the artwork, the images, and then I, I test publish it, run through. I always listen to my podcasts before they're published. As boring as it may sound to me, right? But you got to listen to the whole thing to make sure it's okay. Then I publish it. And by publishing it, I use the uh, you know the time frame feature in um, in in uh, excuse me in in um, WordPress right? right that allows that allows you to say okay publish it on this date 
So that way I can stagger it. I see in a list of all the ones that are going to be published, they're all completed. Some of them probably are still waiting for artwork or a couple of other things like release forms to be signed. So I will stagger them and I can always change the publishing date if I have to, if something occurs. But that's so that's the workflow. Basically, I know what it is. And sometimes uh, for one day, I'll schedule three or four podcast episodes in one day. Yeah, that scheduling is extremely helpful because uh, you may not realize this, but at the time this episode is going out, we're pre-recording this. At the time this episode is going out, I will have gotten married last Saturday. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'm enjoying my honeymoon. Um, But yeah, this episode is actually scheduled and that's the same thing I've done with others. And that scheduling is really nice. That way you can release something at a set time or release in advance like you do things way in advance. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and it works, it works quite well because that way, you know what you're publishing by when and can change it at a moment's notice. And it, it gives you the opportunity really to organize what you want released by when. Mm-hmm. Now looking at your workflow and all of the equipment and tools that you use along the way, what would you say are, the unique things that you do in your workflow and what is most essential to you as you're producing a podcast? Well, the unique thing is that I want to make sure that it's good quality. There are some podcast episodes where I want the audience to get the feel that I'm in a public place. You can hear the background noise. You can hear people stuttering. When I'm interviewing them, I leave the uhs and the ums because it's natural in that environment. There are other times when I want it to sound really good and I'm doing a quality interview with somebody, and so I'll, I'll spend a little, little bit more time editing out the flaws that people have, and just about everybody. And you know this, when you interview somebody, you'd be surprised how many ums and ahs and, and uh, pregnant pauses and spaces and everything else that they've got until you actually go in, listen, and edit it, right? So I make sure that it's quality depending on the audience and depending on the podcast uh, that's there. So I think I add that with a, an advertising-free environment. And the value I provide to the audience is it, it has to be something that they consider a value that they will like to come back to because it makes their day or adds something of value to their day at that time, whether it's the veterans groups or whether it's the entrepreneurs, the small business owners, the people who are listening to my dance <laughs> podcast on folklorical music, or it happens to be uh, the people who are taking the courses that I have, because I do have courses that I monetize in podcast format. So then what, if you could pick one piece of hardware in your workflow and say, this is my favorite child of all of this hardware, do you have a favorite hardware or software or are you just a single tool that you think totally makes your workflow what it is and makes everything beautiful for you? Well, when you, when you work with quality equipment, Obviously, you get quality. But for ease of use and for fun, I like to use the, the, uh, the Samson Go mic. Have you ever used it? No, I haven't. <laughs> the what? Samson Go mic is about the size of a set of car keys. And it's USB connected. You plug it right into your PC. You can record directly into Audacity. On one side, it has a windscreen with one microphone. The other side has another microphone. I've never used it to do multiple interview, you know, multiple person interviews, but I use it and it's so quick and dirty. I can just go in and record an intro, outro. I can do a whole podcast if I want. And the quality is not the best, you know, on a level of one to 10, you can get a, a level of seven and a half to eight on that little baby. And it's so easy. And so it's fun. It's fun for me to use. And then of course, 
you've got the uh, the quality. You get the Yeti mic and you set it up and you make sure it's tuned properly. Or if you really want high quality, you use your mixer and get everything all set up with the AT2020 condenser, you know, hooked onto the mixer using Phantom Power. So you said that you are profiting or you have a, a monetization model of you sell certain products, you have certain premium podcasts. Correct. And is there more beyond that? Like, do you offer services beyond what you do in your podcast? Yes. Uh, I've been offering podcast consulting services, and I quickly don't mention that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and for the reason is, if you help somebody else get their podcast, then you're working for time. And the problem is that you don't you sacrifice that time where you could be creating content for other podcasts. <laughs> and so I'd rather have a passive revenue stream, however slight, such as the ones I have on premium cast, as opposed to going out and doing consulting. Now, I did consulting three, four years ago when I first started podcasting because that was one monetization way that a lot of people were using, especially in taking podcast secrets from Paul Colligan. Well, even though I was making $250 an hour and sometimes $150 an hour and sometimes I discounted to $125 an hour, uh, and these were big companies. I'm talking about companies like Dell wanted me to do their Salesforce automation podcasts, and I turned them down. I said no. Uh, and the, the guy couldn't believe it. He said, what do you mean? We got money. I said, it's not the money. <laughs> mm. I don't know if you've ever worked with large companies like that to get a contract, but having been in IBM, I know what we did with our contractors. <laughs> and you're talking about long waits. And the, the, the biggest problem was they never delivered what they were supposed to deliver at the time that they were supposed to deliver it. So we'd be waiting and waiting and waiting. The podcast never get off the ground. And then they end up blaming you for it mm-hmm. because the manager didn't know how to organize. And so... I just quickly got out and I said, I will refer you to someone else who would be glad to take the business and do it this way. I will even lend this individual the equipment so that, that this individual will do everything for you. And they couldn't believe it. They thought, you know, that anybody comes in there talking money with big pockets that you fall at their feet to grovel and take the contract. And I said, no, it's more important for me to know that if I offer podcast consulting services, I did that to small businesses and entrepreneurs. When I got there, I gave them the value they were thankful for the value. They knew what was going on. I had them schedule. You know, I showed them how to do an episode map. I was going to create their pod- podcast and everything for them. They paid me on the spot right before I left. I never asked them. They, it was just common courtesy. Say, here's your check for the time that you spent here. Thank you very much. And when, we, when can we see you again? And when will we have the ability to record the episode? So I did podcast consulting. Don't want to do that anymore. Uh, I'm having too much fun just creating all these podcasts. And, you know, <laughs> you've done podcast consulting, haven't you? A little. Uh, yeah, my and main it does service. take up a lot of time. A lot of that is mainly education, and especially the people who don't know anything and expect you to educate them in one half hour. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially they, they expect to have your skills in one half hour. No. And then when you tell them what's entailed in doing the podcast, it makes their head go round. And then when you tell them how much it's going to cost for the quality they want, uh, they don't want to pay it. And I just said, well, you know what? Here, go to Podomatic and you can create your own podcast and, uh, you know, have a, have a nice life. But that's why I don't promote it anymore. Uh, podcast consulting is just takes too much time. And you're dealing with people that uh, really should be educated prior to coming to you. Instead, what I do is I do marketing consulting. Uh, small businesses that need to get their marketing on the map. I, you know, I've been doing marketing training and stuff like this for 30 years in IBM. I know how to help small businesses get themselves on the map, especially in the marketing arena where they have no, no skills, especially entrepreneurs. Um, there's a couple of my interviewed. I'm not going to say who, but they 
did not have a single inkling of what marketing was, and I came and gave them free consultation. I do that twice a year. I, I give two free consultations. In this case, it was end, ended up being 10 hours, mm-hmm. but I liked doing it for them, and they saw how little they knew about it and what they had to do, and it's a kind of good reflection on them. So it was my contribution to the community, but no, I don't, uh, I don't have any other um, monetization models outside of you know, passive revenue streams and the affiliate programs, of course. Okay. Now let's talk about some of the dialogue. We've talked about the passion that you have and some of the way that you organize yourself and your podcast. Now let's talk about... You you mean obsession. (laughs) (laughs) Then it would be the ood of podcasting, (laughs) not the pod, the ood. (laughs) Right. Now let's talk about how you dialogue with others and with your community. You have the interview podcast, Struggling Entrepreneur, and you've had all of these interviewers with big names and little names as well. How is it that you find these people on the internet to interview? Well, a good podcaster has to do a lot of research. So you research in the areas that you want to to know about. You research on the internet. You research by listening to other content that's there. And when you and you find content that you like, you say, "Who is this guy?" Right? I need to go talk to that individual. And then, of course, you look at the emails that come through. There's a there's a gal I did an interview for, and she wrote a book called uh, Divas Doing Business or something like that. And she wanted to, she was insistent and waited almost half a year for me to put her on the show. But, you know, I had to do several rounds of qualifying them. I qualify every single person either with my own checklist or by calling them and making sure that they're a good person that will add to the, the community. So I research, I listen to content, or I go out and I go to different events. Uh, some of the events for instance, conferences, et cetera, where I hear the, the guest speaker. I go out and I ask him, I would like to take what you said and put it on my show. Can I do an interview with you? And many of them have said yes. There's a couple that said yes and then later on played a game with me and then they, um, they never were interviewed again. And there's a couple of other folks that I send a <clears throat> request to saying, I'd like to have you on my show. Here it is. And I give them all the information, say, this is not a just fly by night. This has been around for years. It's got a good audience. And they said, no, thank you. I don't have time. And that's where, you know, podcast courtesy comes in, right? So um, those are the three methods. Research, listening to other people that have valuable content that's relevant to the audiences that I have. And then the people are asking me, um, for instance, the the military, the the podcast I do for the the infantrymen or for the 82nd Airborne. I'm getting people who have been in history. Like I said, the guy who rode across the river the Vol River, to take the Nijmegen Bridge in the movie, A Bridge Too Far in History. He's 90 years old, and people would swarm to listen to him because of what he went through, the Battle of the Bulge, made three combat jumps, that that sort of thing. I went to seek him out and had an interview in his home. He opened up his scrapbook and showed me pictures from World War II of when he was in. So I did an interview, got the episode. It was episode 12, by the way, of the www.cibaustin.com, .org, I mean. So I, I go out there and I interview those folks, the ones who are combat infantrymen in each one of the campaigns, I go interview them. And yes, I even have another set of interviews, uh, Daniel. This is outside the area of podcasting, but uh, there's a, a project that's called the Veterans Oral History Project. And the Library of Congress has chartered it. No funding, so they use volunteers. But you know what it is? Going to all veterans that have served in all wars and all campaigns and all MOSs, that is occupations, not necessarily in combat, but getting their story and sending it to the Library of Congress so it's archived, it's not lost. 
I do that too, believe it or not. <laughs> I'm going to be doing it next week, as a matter of fact, for one of the guys. So that's how you do it. But research is the, the key thing. Always listening to content will give you ideas on research. How did I find you to ask you to interview? I listened to your content. I said, this is someone I'd love to have on the show. Now, when you uh, interview someone, that's one way that you're producing dialogue. But mm-hmm. you've also mentioned that you receive emails from people. So you kind of have this community building around your separate shows and separate communities. What do you do to build and then interact with your community around each of your shows or your shows in general? Well, uh, let me tell you, the first thing you got to do is know what your community is, know who's in it. And then one of the things you have to do is contribute to that community. And I do it by providing meetups here in the local area, going out to the events where the communities exist. For instance, podcasting events. What would be the communities that you would like to go to? I know you've talked about it in your show. You're going to host one of them. It's called a pod camp. Exactly. And I've spoken at six pod camps all across the country. I go to the product camps. I go to the freelance camps. I go to any of the bar camp like events that are relevant to what I'm doing because I deal with entrepreneurs. Guess where I'm going to plan on being in November on the 17th, the entrepreneur expo and conference in Phoenix. It's the largest one in the country. So you go to those events and where do you go in October? You go to the blog world and new media expo, right? To deal with other podcasters and bloggers, that kind of stuff. So you go to the different events I contribute by going to the local meetups here and sponsoring the meetups. And do you know that some of the people in my meetup facility are, are across the country, but they join just to, because I'm the only one that actually does a podcast of the meetup telling them what happened during the meetup <laughs> because they physically can't attend, but they want to hear what's going on. And so they listen to the podcast. Uh, that's one way. The other way is to give free consultations. That's something that I really believe in. And you have to do it twice a year. And when you give free consultations, guess what? People will open up. Next thing you know, your network is open. Next thing you know, they're introducing you to other people. And before you know it, uh, you're, you're giving to the community and the community is coming to you. And you say, you know what? This is content that I can create that will benefit this part of this community. I would like to, to either do an interview or at least talk about it. Uh, so I did talk about different events as a monologue. And I've never really had um, a steady co-host. I've had a couple of people who are co-hosts once in a while, but very few. I guess it's because I talk too much. (laughs) Well, you probably find that not many other people have as much passion or, I'm sorry, obsession as you do. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, Paul Colligan was the one. I want to give him the credit. He's the one that said, when you're obsessive and you listen and consume a lot, you get to know a lot of things, especially about... Uh, what you're doing, like podcasting. So you get to become a subject matter expert in that area. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's what happened when I ran the Austin Podcasters Group and, and presented at different podcasts. They just go, where did you learn this? And how did you learn it so fast? I just said, I eat, breathe, live, and sleep this all day long because uh, I live alone. So every free moment I've got, guess what I'm listening to? Content from podcasts. Hate the video podcasts because they make you sit in front of a video. I like to uh, hear the audio of an audio podcast or the audio stream from a video podcast. And that way I can consume them. And uh, there's one thing I found out for us mature individuals. And that is that I've proven it in my own with uh, several samples is not statistically correct in any means, but for a lot of the mature folks and seniors out there, if you listen to audio podcasts, the muscles that you haven't exercised because you've been watching the idiot box television, (laughs) what's true. The muscles that you haven't exercised that, 
give you vision in your mind, imagination, and the, the aural, that is the hearing muscles, guess what it actually decreases? Short-term memory loss. It decreases mm. the rate of increased short-term memory loss. How do you like that? So nice. that's why I love podcasts because <laughs> I, have, I have seen that myself, and I tried it on a couple of buddies of mine. It worked, and I'm trying to get a lot of other people who are in the senior age and are starting to suffer short-term memory loss to listen to podcasts and see if the results are positive. And by the way, when they do so, their lives are enriched. Mm. Yes. You know, so, what you say about uh, the video podcast is very similar with me. I subscribe to, I think, 86 podcasts. And, is that all? <laughs> yeah, that's all. <laughs> For a lot of people, that's a lot. You probably eat, breathe, and sleep this too, right? Yeah, so far while I'm single, just like you, I'm walking around with an iPod and earbuds and listening while I'm working. But it's always the video podcasts that I get to last, even though some of them I really enjoy. They're the last ones I get to because I'm thinking, oh, I have to give it all of my focus in order to consume this content. I can't just consume it while I'm mowing or driving or whatever. Right. You touched upon video podcasts. Do you mind if I get up on this soapbox just for a second? Go ahead. Okay. Here I am. <laughs> video podcasts are great, but you have to do them correctly. And I think, and this is just my opinion, but I think the right way of creating a video podcast is so that you don't have to look at the video. Who showed me this? Paul Colligan is the expert at doing this. He'll create a video podcast, but make it so that you don't have to watch the video screen because he's really creating the basis, basically a screencast of his slides. So you can listen to it in audio and still get the same benefit, but he produces it for video for those people who want video. So he's producing the podcast content in whatever format to whatever the audience wants to consume it in at their own leisure. He does it live. He does it also uh, down the podcast channel so you can listen to it at, at the time that you want to listen to it and, you know, in a time-shifted environment. But uh, the one thing that I, you know, I told you I studied television and film production in my college, excuse me, in my college years back in the days of black and white and even in color when I came back from the war and, and learned how to do it. I have a very high standard of what I would consider video. The only videos, and I use those in quotes, that I've produced have been screencasts because Number one, I got a face for radio. And number, <laughs> and no, if, if I were to create a video and I was going to do this free of charge in one of the consulting, one of the free consultations I had for a company, a startup firm, I would get the talent that had a face for video to do, uh, to do the actual talent work of being the talent on the video and, and, and saying what had to be said, mainly for testimonials or for being a hostess, that sort of thing. But if you're going to create a video, the, the last thing that you want to do is to create something that can destroy your brand. And I know that people have different types of uh, opinions on this. And they say, no, you should just be yourself and people will forgive you. Excuse me. <laughs> people are getting more demanding uh, of quality now. And you've seen that from, you know, audio podcasts and now video. Yeah, the MySpace and the YouTube videos were funny to look at. But right now, when you get video quality, like with the Kodak ZI8 and other types of re uh, video recorders... You should produce something that's going to not denigrate your brand. It's not going to embarrass you later on. It's not going to say, wow, how amateur is this? And that's why I haven't put up any video, because you really have to take a lot of time to do it right. Yeah, and, and it takes only, a lot of money, too, to do it right. Well, it's costly, it's expensive, but time-consuming as well. And the worst thing is, if you've already got an audience, say like yourself, and they haven't seen who you are, there's a disappointment factor when the audience finally sees you 
And, and they say, wow, I thought you, I thought you were taller. You sounded taller. I sounded, and I, that's, that's not my story. That's uh, David Jackson's story. But I've, I've done research and I found out that if you have a good, strong audience right now, as I do in audio podcasting, if they were to see me physically, uh, their idea of who they're looking at is not the, uh, is not the same person as whom they're listening to. And guess what would happen? There's a disappointment factor. They would unsubscribe. Why do that? I would get someone else who's uh, has a face for video to be the talent on my show if I were to do video podcasts. And we're going to do some video podcasts and Entrepreneur Tools Online, but the person is the author of the course, and he's going to do it because he's the author. People will you know, have listened to him already on, on video, and they've accepted him. But for me, I don't want to do it. You just have to, as a podcaster, say, am I willing to dilute my brand and possibly hurt my brand by putting myself on video without really having good quality video. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. And that's just a, a little word of, shall we say, a lesson learned that I wanted to pass on to other podcasters who are listening to this and saying, well, yeah, I was thinking of just putting up a video there on YouTube with my little you know, flip camera. Uh, think about it. You know, what you may be doing right now may hurt you in the long run. And then later on, you can't recapture them. It's not something you can undo very easily, right? Right. So, and let me get off. I'm getting off my soapbox. Okay. Okay. Back on the ground. Oh, thanks for sharing that, though. You've had a lot of guests and a lot of co-hosts and uh, people you've interviewed. How do you collaborate with all of these different people? What tools do you use? Very simple tools. Usually email or we talk on Skype or in person. For instance, um, Bob Levitas, the author of iPad for Dummies. He lives here in the Austin area, so I will drive, you know, 100, 200 miles to go visit somebody and interview him at his house if possible. So Bob Levitas was here in Austin. It took me two months to get an interview with him, but guess what? I found out his weakness. The Asian cafe loves Chinese food. <laughs> so I invited him to lunch. We had a lunch together. It was great. We started talking to him, and when I saw him, I said, you know what? He was wearing this green army cap, but it, it had the Apple insignia because he writes about Apple books, right? <laughs> And I said, you know, you look like a character that could be on MASH, <laughs> the, the TV <laughs> hit series. You look just like that. And so we got off on a good start. And then after a good meal, we went to uh, a borrowed office environment. It was a closed office where we did the recording. It was five minutes away, had everything uh, rearranged, came in, sat down, informal. And he never even looked at the pre-interview uh, questions that I sent. As you know. I collaborate with everybody. I always send them a list of pre-interview questions based on the themes we want to cover. And it's not things that we're going to cover in detail very rigorously and in that order. It's just a roadmap, a guideline that can be edited. When I sent them to you, what I say, hey, any topics you want me to bring up? Or is this okay? Or, you know, feel free to edit it if you want. It's just basically a roadmap. Mm -hmm. And so I collaborate that through email. I send it as PDF document or whatever I can. I talk to them on Skype to get a feel of the people that I'm not sure I would want to have on my show uh, or not. And then if I can do it in person, there's a couple of times when I wanted to interview a couple of podcasters like Doug Welch and Evo Terra, but I had to meet them first. So guess what? I drove all the way to Phoenix to the pod camp number one, and I met them there. <laughs> nice. And just to make the, the acquaintance create the relationships, and then guess what? We did the interviews a little bit later on. Uh, I did them over Skype because they felt comfortable that way. So that's how I, I collaborate with people. 
mainly in person, but if I, if I can do it in person, if not, we'll do it through Skype or, or email. With you, we did it uh, over email, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, through all of your podcasting and years and many episodes that you've released, looking back, what mistakes did you make or what would you have done differently along your journey and along this path you've taken to producing all of this content if you knew what you know now? Wow. Well, uh, I guess the the one mistake that I I wish I could undo is I wish I could have started earlier Hmm. because I think I would have enjoyed it. I would have been at the very beginning of the industry. Instead, I walked in a little bit after it had just started. And what that did is it put me at a disadvantage. I could have been one of the early starters. I bet you I would have been one of the collaborators with uh, Doug Kay and Michael Gohagen uh, and that would have given me better promotion. The one thing that I think I really dropped the ball on was not pursuing after I got the skills and knew that I was a subject matter expert in this was not pursuing a book deal. And I know some people who got the book deal by default and some people got the book deal by asking, do you, do you know who Lisa Barnes is? Uh, I've heard the name, but I'm blanking out Lisa, on what she did. Lisa Barnes started a podcasting called, <clears throat> um, uh, oh, what was it? It was something to do about the potosphere. But anyway, oh, Podonomics was her podcast. She's in on Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And she attended the first couple of podcast portable media expos that the Berkwin brothers put out in Ontario, California. And when they went around and introduced themselves, she basically got up and said, my name is Lisa Barnes. I do this. And by the way, I'm looking for a book deal. I want to write a book about podcasting. Sat down. Well, by telling people... Guess what? They came to her and Paul Colligan was able to get her a book deal and she wrote a book within a year. And I think that's the one thing that I really could have done to write a good book on podcasting, which would have been value to people. And I didn't do it. I didn't have the time right now, you know, and then by the time I was ready to go and pursue it, it was, uh, shall we say, the wave has already passed. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't appropriate, but I wish I could have started earlier and I wish I, I would have been able to grab a mentor that would have been close to me. You know, Colligan's all the way on the West Coast. Dave Jackson's out in Columbus, Ohio, or close to there. And I would have gotten somebody here in the Texas area. And there were a few of them. You know, if I, if I would have known Scott Whitney was out in Las Vegas, I probably would have taken a week or two to spend time in Vegas to learn from him. But I wish I would have started earlier with and would have made time for the mentors and had better promotion of myself and gotten a book deal. That's what I wish I would have done differently. And maybe some of your listeners would be able to do that now uh, with the expertise that they have in their own environment. Yeah. So you obviously have the obsession or passion and inspire us with some of that. What, what can you say to someone out there that is wanting to do the same thing that we do, this podcasting, or they're just lacking some inspiration to get started on some big project, whatever it is? How can you inspire those listeners out there? Well, the first thing you got to do is you got to want to do it. You got to have that built in passion. I have an obsession, you do too, but they have to have a passion about something that they want to communicate to a community. And if they have that, and if they want to make a business out of it, they can put both of them together and they can do it now because of all that's available in the new world of social media. They can go and they can get the tools. They can go and find a good mentor who really not just helps them, but gives back to the community, not just for the money, but to the community to help other people. And once they do that, then they see other people helping them. 
guess what? They will want to help other people, and they'll want to communicate this message by doing things like podcasting or whatever area of subject matter expertise you have. Go out and exercise it. Go out and produce. If you're a content producer, produce good content that's of value to whatever community you want. And then if you want to monetize it, you know, by all means, go ahead and monetize it and be successful. I think the success that they're looking for is not just monetary, but it's the success that you find when you know that you've done a good job. You can look back at your own creations and you know you've given good quality to the community. And what that does is it recharges your batteries, wants you to give more. (laughs) It energizes you to give more to the community. It's a never-ending cycle. So you feed on your own energy. Uh, And I think that's that's the, the best way I can inspire you is you can do it. And it doesn't matter if you're a professional speaker, which I used to be, but it doesn't matter if you're a professional speaker. You can create content. You can then, by being yourself, deliver that content in the area of podcasts or whatever, or even in social media, to that community. And if you can find a mentor, then you can then become a mentor for somebody else. And that's what's going to give you the inspiration, I think. Wow. Thank you very much, Fred. Now, where can people find you on the internet? Now, don't list all 13 of your sites again, but like what would be the central places that people can find you, subscribe to your content and follow you and your work? I think probably the two that would be most appropriate to your audience. One would be the struggling entrepreneur at www.strugglingentrepreneur.com. That's the blog and the podcast. I'm on episode 130 something right now. And then, uh, and by the way, that's not just 130 episodes. As you know, I have sub- uh, episodes and bonus episodes, you know, like 119 A, B, C, D, E, F, G. That's why I've got well <laughs> yeah. over 200 episodes in, the, in that time frame. And the second one is Entrepreneur Tools Online. It's www.entrepreneurtoolsonline.com. And it would give you what you need to know. Now, I have uh, a model that I took from T. Morris. You, you know who T. Morris is, right? He wrote the yes. original Podcasting for Dummies, and then he wrote the sequel to that, which was uh, expert podcasting practices for dummies, he and uh, Evo Terra. He created a companion podcast. Well, I took up that model. I forgot to tell you about it, but for your listeners, if they don't know what a companion podcast is, it's, it's a podcast that you have that accompanies a major theme or a product or yet another podcast that's premium content. So if you have a podcast that you want to share things with, that will then drive people to the premium content to subscribe to that in in uh, in T. Morris's example, he wrote and delivered a podcast, a companion podcast called Podcasting for Dummies, the, comp- the companion podcast. It sold more books <laughs> than any of the bookstores did because people listened to the podcast and they went out and bought the book. Hmm. So I do companion podcasts, and that's what Entrepreneur Tools Online and Finance for Startups and Gain Control of Your Day, they all are companion podcasts that drive people to the premium content if they so want to consume it. Entrepreneur Tools Online, same thing. So Struggling Entrepreneur does not. It just yeah, That's my contribution to the community that says, here's the lessons learned from entrepreneurs. And so that really doesn't drive anybody anywhere, but it, I think they'll be in, probably encouraged to go to some of my other podcasts that I mentioned there, and they'll eventually, uh, I hope, fall into the premium content category to subscribe. And I think it'll help them. And by the way, the price points I have are very, very low. I don't plan to make a killing with them, but I do have to give back to some of the content creators. I do have to pay royalties and things. And so it's basically a break even for me, but I think it's for me, the, the charge that I get is giving back to the community. So strugglingentrepreneur.com. If you want to, if you want to know who I am and, and follow me and subscribe, it's on iTunes as well as 
uh, you can just go to the website, subscribe there. Fantastic. Fred Castaneda, it has been wonderful to have you on. And I know we've gone kind of long in this, but you're just providing such great information and your passion and, or obsession is just so obvious and it's contagious too. I, I think that people will really get enthusiastic after listening to you and all of your content as well. Well, it's the same thing for you. That's how I discovered you and I found that, that passion that you had and the enthusiasm was what, uh, what I wanted to capture in the episode that I interviewed you in which I interviewed you. And I think your followers say the same thing. So uh, again, thank you so much for having me. And I'm sorry I bored your listeners for the past hour or so, right? <laughs> but anyway, podcasting is great. And I hope you all become obsessive podcast consumers or podcast content creators. Thank you. Now, for all of you guys, our listeners, we, of course, mentioned a lot of things, a lot of links, some tools. And you can check out the show notes over at the com slash 13 and that takes you straight to the notes on noodle.mx and you can check out all of those links and links to fred's shows and everything remember to follow me on twitter.com slash the ramen noodle and at this time i am on my honeymoon so i won't hear or be reading email but you can send your email to feedback at noodle.mx or call in to 859-353-4333 free to ask your questions ask whatever about podcasting send in your feedback ideas thoughts problems marriage advice maybe not (laughs) that could be a different podcast but now that i've given you some of the guts or we rather have given you some of the guts we've taught you some of the tools it's time for you to go podcast with passion organization and dialogue thank you very much for listening 